week 65 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast, and the president's doubling down on hate. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the bottle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the Commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. He's got nowhere else to go. So hate seems to be where his presidential campaign is heading. I mean, what else is he going to do at this point? I mean, he's not going to win on the economy. He's not going to win on his response to COVID-19. I guess he thinks that there are enough racists in America to get him over the top, and he is sorely mistaken by that. I got a, I got an excellent show for you today. You definitely want to stick around. I have two interviews for you. Uh, Philippe Reines, uh, former assistant secretary of state under Hillary Clinton, a longtime advisor to Hillary Clinton, who actually gave us the title for this broadcast today. I guess it's a broadcast when it's a podcast. Um, Fact-checked by God. And Ron Christie, a advisor, former advisor to George W. Bush. And you definitely want to stick around for that interview. He is very disappointed with some of the things the president's doing, particularly, you know, this topic I'm, I'm bringing up here, making his case to the racists that he's their guy. And I, I don't get it. I really don't understand how he thinks this is a winning strategy. But who knows what this man thinks? I mean, here we are, right? I mean, we're at a point where it's very clear he's losing. It's clear to him. It's clear to everyone in the Republican Party. So this strategy of contracting your base, making it really only the racists that go for you, is amazing to me. I, I was just on Fox with Carl Rove again Monday night. You know, I do that Monday night hit with Carl almost every week. And we were talking about Kanye, and um, we were agreeing it was a stunt. But, you know, perhaps Kanye was thinking that, he can't even support Trump anymore because he's too racist. And that's why he put it out that he was running for president, just signaling to his fans that he's no longer with Trump. Maybe that's why he made that announcement. I mean, why else would the president of the United States tweet out that he's disappointed with NASCAR? And by the way, fact checked by God again, the president said that NASCAR's ratings were down because of the Confederate flag when actually they were up significantly this weekend. So I don't know. Uh, I think that uh, this president, you know, wants to defend the Confederacy, which existed for almost as long as his presidency, and doesn't want to defend our troops who are fighting in Afghanistan, who are being targeted by the Russians, by his pal Vlad. Uh, wants to defend uh, the, the 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 monuments, but doesn't want to talk about how we can resolve this COVID-19 nightmare, which has sprung up again all over this country. I mean, I think, look, I'm here in New York and things have gone down dramatically here in New York. We think we've got it under control in New York, but I don't think that there's any way in hell that we can have this outbreak all over this country and not have it come back to New York, right? Especially as New York starts to open up. They haven't done in seating, you know, in-house dining uh, in the city, but outside of the city, they sure have. So you're going to start seeing people make their way outside of the city, go to restaurants, get infected, bring the infection there. It's just, it's going to come back, right? President tweeted out, schools must open in the fall. 
And you know what? I agree with him on that. But you know whose fault it'll be if they don't, Mr. President? Yours. Because you're the president. This is a national pandemic. You are responsible for getting this country on track so schools can open in about, look, here in New York, it's about six, seven weeks away. Uh, other parts of the country, they open up in August. I, I just don't see us being ready. But I agree that they need to open. Kids need something to do. It's also, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics feels that there's dangers in not having kids in school, both uh, with their emotional growth, their mental growth, their educational growth, but also, you know, there are a lot of kids who get their nutrition at school. There are a lot of kids who are being abused that we discover that abuse because they're at school. I think it's very important that we get the schools open in the fall. I agree, Mr. President, but it's your fault. Your failure to lead this country like the leaders of almost every other rich democracy in this, in this, on this planet. Forget about rich democracy, rich nation on this planet. Your failure to lead is why we are having a resurgence of COVID-19 in the United States of America. It's your fault. The only person we should blame if schools are not open in the fall is Donald Trump, period. Governors are doing everything they can to protect their citizens, but there's no national plan. And, you know, let me just take a minute to discuss Texas, where you have a governor who's finally gotten off the Trump bandwagon on masks, and you have a lieutenant governor challenging that, a guy named Dan Patrick, who I think is probably one of the worst people on the planet because he definitely knows better. And by the way, don't confuse him with Dan Patrick, the announcer on ESPN. No, this is Dan Patrick, the Trump-loving, thug, Republican lieutenant governor in Texas. And in Texas, the lieutenant governor is an actual job, right? Texas has one of those weird systems of government where there is a particularly weak governor and uh, the lieutenant governor actually controls the calendar in the Texas legislature and has a lot to do with the shaping of the budget. And he's, you know, got a bully pulpit. And he's bringing this stuff up, saying he doesn't want to listen to Dr. Fauci, doesn't want to see masks on. You know, look, I mean, here we are, right? They have a serious outbreak going on in Texas. Texas, you know, Houston's medical system is about to be overrun, potentially. And God, I hope it doesn't. I'm not rooting for that. Everybody needs to get on the same page. And the reason why everybody can't get on the same page is because Donald Trump only knows how to divide. He doesn't know how to unite. He could have had a moment in his presidency where he united the entire nation around the cause of defeating COVID-19. He chose to continue to divide the nation, which is why he's doubling down on racism right now because he thinks it's his only way to win. He wants to try to intimidate good people and keep them home. He's going to do everything he can to try to cheat and win this election. It's not going to work. There is the dam is breaking. And, um, you know, I get into this a little bit with Philippe. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we both agree. I, I don't think this is a close election. I think this is going to be an election that is one big either way. If there's some sort of miracle recovery and the economy is humming along in November, Trump might get reelected. I see no way of that happening right now. It would really take a miracle. But I think that the dam is breaking. I mean, Gallup's poll, Trump's at 38% nationally. Uh, approval. I mean, that's near an all-time low. Um, I don't know why it's even that high, frankly. I don't know who these 38% of Americans are that think he's doing a great job. It's the same 38% that think his handling of COVID-19 is okay. I mean, there's a certain amount of rally around the flag, I guess, or maybe they're not paying attention. Maybe they spent this entire lockdown, you know, binging stuff on Netflix and Yahoo and other places. That's great. I, I hope they did. Because, God, I would not want to believe that some of our fellow citizens actually think that this guy's doing a good job. I mean, at least that many people, right? 20% of the people, yeah. But, I mean, come on. But he's lost Kanye. I mean, that's a start. Maybe we could get Kanye back. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Kanye's music. I think Touch the Sky is a great song. It's one an all-time great song. He's got a lot of great things that he's done. But this is just, you know... It, it, the spiral has begun for this guy. And the dangers of him staying in office with a compliant and complicit Republican-led Senate, it, it's dangerous. 
and an attorney general doing everything he can to take away all roadblocks of his power. He's a dangerous guy. And we need to be on a major watch over the next couple of weeks to watch what this guy's doing and to do everything we can to thwart his attempts to destroy this nation any further than he already has in his vain attempt to divide us even further than we already are so that he might get reelected to the presidency. God help us all. I mean, it's going to be a crazy 170 or so days between now and the election because this guy will do whatever he can to divide and conquer. He thinks that's the way to win. He thinks that's his path to victory. I I mean, right now it seems to me that his path has gotten very narrow. And the more it looks like he's going to lose, the more dangerous he's going to get, especially if Republicans are still going to be deadly afraid of crossing this guy because 35% of the country who are mostly their base like him. And they're worried about their own seats. You know, I think it's time for them to put country first and forget about their elections. And start thinking about what they can do to be better Americans. And what they could do to protect this country and its institutions. It is, it's mind-blowing. Alright, I got two great guests coming up. I, I told you about Philippe Reynes, Reynes who uh, was the uh, Deputy Secretary of State under Hillary Clinton. Uh, a longtime advisor, advisor in the Senate uh, as well advisor on the campaign, um, great guy, came up with the title to this uh, podcast, Fact Checked by God. Again, president says coronavirus is going away. God says, no, it's not, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, I know some of you don't believe in God. Uh, I apologize, but it was a great title. I couldn't pass it up. Um, and then Ron Christie, who has been on the show before, and Ron's a friend of mine, even though he's on the other side of the aisle, we have done a lot of work together. A um, couple years ago, actually 2016, my alma mater in the University of Albany invited me to give a speech, and they wanted me to see if I could debate with a Republican. Did you know anybody who might be interested in doing it? Ron Christie came up to Albany on his own dime. Uh, we had an excellent conversation about 2016. We were both wrong. It was like February of 2016, and neither one of us thought Donald Trump would be president. <laughs> we were wrong. Um so, uh, great guy, done a lot of TV, I've done a lot of radio with Ron. Um, when the president tweeted out that white power um, tweet two weeks ago, I wanted to call Ron because I saw Ron's response on Twitter and I could feel the pain in his response. And this is a guy who's dedicated his life. He's a conservative, he's a principled conservative, dedicated his life to conservative principles. He's an African-American and, um, you know, why is this guy doing this? I, I think there are a lot of people waking up, shaking their head and saying, why is this guy doing this? Like, why is this his path? I mean, I we're not past racism in this country, right? But I thought we were past having an overt race-baiting president. I don't want to call him a racist because I think, I don't know, but he's getting close. He's clearly race-baiting. He clearly thinks that getting the racists on board, people who support the failed Confederacy, the terrorist plot to take over this country that was the confederacy to destroy america they want to have a he wants to have a monument garden put robert e lee in there the biggest terrorist ever the man who's killed more americans than anyone yeah go ahead crazy all right stick around i got two interviews uh Philippe comes up first and then ron joining me now Philippe reynas Former longtime advisor to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and of course, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State of the United States. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Chris. How are you holding up during this quarantine? You know, I hate to admit it because I know so many people aren't, but I'm I'm doing very well. Uh, my life before this sort of prepared me for it. Um, right down to the not liking to interact with people. So <laughs> social distancing is, is old hat. Um, but no, I, I you know. Yeah. I'm, well, I wish everyone was doing as well. I, I'm a runner, right? And and I'm not yeah. a runner that likes to run with people. I like to run mm-hmm. alone. So it's, yeah. a, it's just one of those. Uh, it's actually yeah. 
my routine, other than having to get in a car and go someplace on a regular basis, has not changed all that much. So it's been, I've been fortunate too here. And of course, you know, I've been talking to America about what's going on and this roller coaster of a pandemic response. I mean, you worked for a competent individual um, for a long time. And you see the way that this administration is handling this response. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on what they've been doing. I mean, you know, this is a family show, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep it clean. <laughs> but it is um, disappointing is, is too light of a word. What they're doing is some form of, of manslaughter. Yeah. I mean, if, this were, if this were a Law & Order episode, they would figure out how to sue the president because he was directly, uh, you know, responsible for this. And I know over the last three years, we've all said that about different things, and it's very easy rhetorically to say that. But what's going on with the masks, as an example, yeah, is just so appalling. And every day, you know, you and I were joking a minute ago about being, you know, predisposed to um, social distancing, but there, you know, there are studies now about people who uh, voluntarily or they self-quarantined before it was the edict in their locality. Right. And that that made, that made a real difference. And we're seeing time after time about masks and we're seeing it now like, Oh, what a shock. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is, you know, kind of wishy-washy about it and laughs it off. And here we are a couple of weeks later and Florida is day in, day out breaking records. Yeah. It would be so, it would be so, you know, to, to answer your question, it would be so easy for, the president of the United States, whoever it is, to just lead by example. And when I worked for Hillary, she never asked anyone to do anything she wouldn't do herself. Mm. And look, I mean, imagine if Hillary Clinton were president and she wore a mask. I mean, you would have every single television and media and magazine going crazy. Every right-wing nut publication and news broadcast. I'd be on defending her, of course. Oh, Uh, my God. That's a $200 mask. Yeah. She gets that mask. Oh, she's wearing a Gucci mask. How dare her? (laughs) But she would do it because she she would know that that's how you get people to do things. And, you know, it's, it's months later and we're not testing. It's months later and they're telling people how to make bandanas and your bras into masks. Yeah. I mean, this is just sheer incompetence coupled with indifference. Yeah. And it's, it's, you it's know, malpractice, it's, right? I mean, it's just, I mean, Ron DeSantis, perfect example. Florida yesterday had more cases than all the countries of the EU combined. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. I mean, I, I went online today and I looked and Florida has had more cases than Iraq, Bangladesh, uh, China. I mean, this is. This is not a coincidence yeah. that the that the states that are being hit the hardest right now are the ones that were took it least seriously and that are uh, led by a Republican government. Well, it's this lack yeah. of a national response, which is going to keep this crisis going much longer than it needed to go. This whole whack-a-mole yeah. approach that we've been taking, you know, it's going to pop up again here in New York. I, I'm sure of it because we can't keep yeah. people out of New York. Um, and, it's, and it's a perfect example of. Trump's real problem, which is you can be selfish and self-absorbed and a narcissist, but also in the process of that, do what's right for everyone. So in his calculus, he needs to pretend this isn't happening because it happening is costing him both. Right. In truth, what he's doing, it is prolonging the pain and costing him even more votes. Yeah. So it's not it's not like this was ever at odds with with what's best for him. If he is defined winning another term as what's best for him, he would have realized that that happens to line up with what is best for the country. Oh, you know what? It could have been great for him. He could have showed leadership, which he hasn't been able to do. He could have tried to unite the nation around defeating this common threat. He didn't do it. He can't do He only knows how to divide. It's just, it's so amazing that there are even any people on this planet that still think this guy's doing a good job. Well, thankfully, there seem to be fewer of them. And, you know, the, the thing that I keep, we always, for three years, we said, what will it take? What will it take for people to turn on him? And, you know, it seems that their own life and limb is part of it. But yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know if you ever watched the today's show, the morning that Ann Curry was fired, her last show. Um, and it was a train wreck because 
she and Matt Lauer and Al Roker and Natalie Morales were on set, and they spent the last five minutes saying goodbye to each other, and it was incredibly tense. Yeah, you could tell and Ann Curry was like, was screw you guys for getting me fired. I, I remember yeah. that. If anyone wants to win for five minutes, they should Google this. And Matt Lauer, his image, and obviously with what's happened since, this sounds a little ridiculous, but his image that day really took a hit Yeah, because it exposed part of him that just was the nice, the not nice person him. Yeah. And even though that had always been there, it took that moment to see it, and he never recovered from that. Irrespective yeah. and setting aside his everything he did that got him fired. And I feel to some extent like that's what's happened here, that yeah. something has snapped and that people, some people are, are now seeing things through a prism that they did not before. And now that they are, they're seeing everything that way. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Charlottesville... You know, you might have said, I can't believe he said that, but a week later forgot all about it because it didn't affect you. Yeah. I, now I, you're seeing him every day saying, oh, it's going to disappear. I can't believe oh. he still says that. I can't believe he said that yesterday. When I saw that interview, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I've learned nothing in three months, four months. Well, but you know what? He's fighting 73 years of muscle memory because what has worked for him, as horrible as it is, and, you know, kids shouldn't try this at home is that he has been able to lie his way out of everything. Yeah. So just saying, no, that didn't happen. I mean, he's now he's now being fact-checked by God. Right. And he's losing. And that this is what it's taken. That, for that, is, that is a great line. He's being fact-checked. <laughs> by the way, that is going to be the title of my podcast next week. <laughs> fact-checked <laughs> by God. That is awesome. Talk about a guy who used to write some lines. Uh, yeah, so he is being fact checked by God, and I think his entire career has been—you know—he's gone bankrupt so many times because he just pretended things weren't happening. And the only yeah. consequence was that he—you know—his dad had to bail him out, or the federal government bailed him out by erasing his debt. Yeah. And now people are dying, and you know, a lot of people see this, and it's now in every state. It's not—it's not working. No, no, and I mean, you know. I, as much as I hate to do it, I might have to. I mean, you've gone on Fox 10 times more than I have, but now that Herman Cain, the, the 2012 presidential candidate who is a yeah. Fox contributor, he's contracted it and he's in the hospital. I am dying to watch Fox tonight to see, I'm sure they will say, our good friend Herman Cain is in the hospital. We're thinking about him. I'm guessing they're not going to mention that he was at the Tulsa. I don't think. I don't don't think after eight o'clock they'll mention it. All right. I asked you for your intro, and you gave me the phonetical spelling of your name, which was awesome. Yeah, I think anyone who's ever had to work for a principal, you get used to uh, taking nothing for granted. (laughs) Exactly, it's awesome. I used to always say, you know, when I'd write something out for somebody, they they don't need to know how to spell the name; they just need to know how to say the name. You know, it was just exactly. the, the way I used to look at it. They're like, is that how you spell his name? I'm like, I don't know how to spell his name, but that's how you <laughs> say it. So let's talk about 2020 for a minute. Let's do it. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I think you probably agree with me. I mean, there are a lot of people who think this race is going to tighten. <clears throat> I think it's either going to flip where Trump runs away with it, or it's going to continue on the trajectory it's on right now, where it's just a complete bloodbath for Trump and the Republican Party. And I'm leaning more towards that. I don't think this is going to be one of those traditional elections where you're going to see a significant narrowing. They might narrow a little bit in the swing states. But I, I just think that it's getting worse for Trump. I mean, he could tout uh, 11.2% unemployment as a good thing, all he wants. But the American people know better. Yeah. I, I mean, to cut to the chase, I, I think it's 2018 with Trump also on the ballot. Yeah. And it's that kind of energy that's kicking in. And, you know, when I say this, on TV or to you or on Twitter, you get a hundred, you know, don't jinx it. Don't say that. Get yeah. out vote. Like obviously neither of us are telling people to take it for granted, but there's no. also an element of not being paralyzed by getting it wrong four years ago. And I, I it's, this is how I thought about it six months ago, pre pandemic. If you looked at the historical factors that contribute to someone keeping or losing their job and bear in mind, it's much easier to keep this job than it is to win this job yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Those factors very much favored Trump, whether it was the economy, lack of uh, a foreign entanglement. Yep. Fast forward, those same factors have flipped on him. Yeah. So 
rather than be a nervous Nelly catastrophizing, you know, Democrat and say, oh, he's going to steal the election. He's never going to leave. Obviously, there are many things to watch out for with gerrymandering and voter suppression yep. and all of that. But on the fundamentals, he's going to get his ass. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm looking I have a countdown clock up on my wall. So 123 days, five hours, 44 minutes and eight, seven, six <laughs> seconds. And um, look, I wish it was tomorrow. If it was tomorrow, you and I would absolutely be right. Yep. And yes, anything could happen in 123 days. I think it'd take a miracle. Any, I think it'd take a miracle to turn things around in the next 123 days. It, and it, it would, would take a miracle and it would it would take something that he's not capable of. And I think what's really important for people to remember is 2016 is not our last data set. 2018 is. Right. We saw how to win in 2018. And those things are happening again. You know, Joe Biden just took in $141 million. Amazing. It's amazing. Act Blue, the company that is the backbone of Democratic donations, took in $392 million in wow. April, May, and June. Wow. That is twice the record, which was set in 2018. There is that same energy. Now, I don't yeah. know how it's going to equate to the Senate, but this is definitely a – it feels like, okay, we wanted to shake things up. But the experiment itself, we went too far the other way. Yeah. The guy, the guy said to us in Detroit in 2016, "What do you have to lose?" Yeah. He is now. Well, now he showed us. He us, showed us yeah. what we have to lose. You know, I, I keep people telling people. I keep telling people. You know, I'm on a lot of conservative markets, right? And I'm on a lot of conservative yeah. media. And I keep saying to people, "We've all hired people that we liked at one point, and we realized that they weren't." right for the job right and even if you lie i never liked trump but there are a lot of people who might have liked him at one point you know he's not right for the job now you've seen him do the job he's not right he's ill-equipped he doesn't have the skill set necessary to lead this nation he true yeah it's not it's not just obviously what's happening now is a once in a in a lifetime kind of situation but anyone else, whether if it was Joe Biden, Barack Obama, George Bush, uh, Chris Hahn, Philippe Reines, Hillary Clinton, would be handling this very differently. And from a political perspective, something like this does not have to sink you. Donald Trump is thinking Donald yeah. Trump, not coronavirus. Yeah, he's sitting and, there wondering why this is happening to him, not thinking yeah. how he can lead the nation out of it. It's amazing to me. Exactly. And what he's doing is, and it's not, it is crazy now, but what he's doing is that he's not deviating from his overall plan, which has been in place since the day after November uh, 8th, 2016, which is that he's going to run the same playbook. Yeah. He, he doesn't, has never in any way attempted to grow the pie. And while a lot of people will say that's terrible and that's wrong, you actually can w- win that way. Yeah, he already you, did. can he can't now because what you have is, you know, it, there's such a tendency when someone loses the presidency to say their campaign was horrible. They were horrible. Everything was horrible. Look, you can criticize Hillary Clinton all you want. Bottom line is, but for 39,000 people changing their vote, yeah. you'd have a 77,000 margin the other way. Yep. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's just a matter of peeling off enough people in those few states And how many of those people, like you you brought up earlier, how many of those people said, yeah, what do I have to lose? Who cares? This will shake things up. You know, let's give it a try. I think you have I think you have two kind of Trump voters. You had uh, people who really just were fed up with Washington, which is legitimate. I mean, you and I have been in Washington long enough to know that it's not great, but they believe that there's a better way to do it. And which you and I agree with. But then there's a subset of people who wanted to burn it down and not build it up with anything else. Yeah. And those people are the ones that aren't going anywhere. They ain't going They're nowhere. But I think there's only 37% in that number. Yeah. I don't think his yeah. number is, I don't think his hard support is 40%. I think that low he had in 20, in 2017 of 37% can be reached again. I think he's well on his way to that. Yeah. There is no doubt. I can say it with complete certainty that if we all voted tomorrow, he would lose yep. dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. And I don't mean like Texas and Georgia, but he would lose. He would get shellacked in a thorough way. Oh, look, not a 50 50. I think that the direction Texas is going right now with this virus, uh, he can very much lose Texas. 
Um, yeah. And he should lose Texas. Uh, yeah. Abbott today gave the order for masks finally. Yeah. I don't know it took him so long. I know it took him so long. Trump. Philippe, I'm out of time with you. This has been awesome. Anything you want to plug? Uh, Twitter handle, anything like that? Uh, sure. My Twitter handle, is, you don't even have to know how to pronounce my name. Just <laughs> spell it out. I would say it spells like it sounds, but that doesn't work. So it's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E-R-E-I-N-E-S. Well, you, you could also see him on Fox <laughs> News just like me. He's a former senior advisor. Oh, What'd you say? Yeah, so I think I think I'm on Howie Kurtz on Sunday. I'm not sure when we're, but but yeah, well, you and I cross paths on the same uh, on the same airtime. Exactly. Well, say hi to Howie for me and have a great hit. Philippe Reigns. Reynus. Sorry. <laughs> great having you back on, and we'll have you again real soon. All right. All right, that's Philippe Reynes. Hope you enjoyed it. I got Ron Christie on the other side of this break. Stay right there. Joining me now, good friend of mine, a guy who I've known in television. I mean, I've been doing TV for uh, 11 years now, national TV, and I've known Ron every step, step of the way. He is a former aide to President George W. Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney, but he's still a good friend of mine, and he's one of the smarter guys on the right. How you doing, Ron? Chris, good to hear your voice, my friend. I'm doing very well under the circumstances. Are, where are you holding up here during this quarantine? Are you down in D.C. or are you here in New York? I'm down in D.C. I'm, I'm talking to you live from your nation's capital in Georgetown, where it is a very beautiful evening. But my goodness, so much going on on either end of Pennsylvania Avenue that I know that you and I are going to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, let's start with the virus because it seems to be on the rise here in the country. Today was another day where we topped over 50,000 new confirmed cases. We know that confirmed cases are a leading indicator and that ultimately, not a large percentage of them, but a good 1% to 3% of the people who are confirmed getting infected ultimately die, unfortunately. Um, What do you make of the administration's response to this virus so far? Well, a couple of points that I have to say. Number one, I think the administration let a lot of people down by not having a uniform response to Mm. how we should deal with this virus. I mean, I look back to President Bush, and when he wanted to pass No Child Left Behind, he said to Congress, look, here are my uniform principles for reform that we must do at a bare minimum in order for us to move forward. I think the administration should have had a guideline for all 50 states of If your COVID uh, number of uh, infections are X, you should do this. If it goes to Y, you should do that. Right. But the notion that under the 10th Amendment that we should delegate this to the states, we've never seen, as you know, since 1917, 1918, anything quite like this. And I just wish the administration had come out with a uniform guideline for governors, for city council members, for mayors to be able to say, you know what, this is what the federal government is telling us at a minimum. Yeah, it could have given them cover to do stuff too, right? I mean, it could have been like, look, these are the federal guidelines. They wouldn't have had to have forced it down uh, municipalities' throats. They could have tied some sort of aid to it if they wanted to. Uh, But the guidelines would have given governors cover across the country. A hundred percent. And again, a guideline is not a mandate. And that's something I think that talking to my friends who work in the administration, and I had a very, very, um, I wouldn't say heated, but protracted conversation with someone who speaks to the president on a regular basis and said, look, no one's telling you to prescribe anything, but what people are yearning for right now is leadership. They're looking for confidence, and they're looking for comfort from the president of the United States. And this was a missed opportunity, in my in my view, Chris, of the president could have said, I am here to heal the country. I'm here to lead the country. And I am here to work day and night to find a way to give these guidelines for these elected officials around the country to follow. You know, it's funny. I was just talking to Philippe Reynas, uh, former aide to Hillary Clinton, and he said almost the same thing. I mean, the president, and I've said it, the president could have led here and it could have helped him, regardless of the state of the economy in November, if he would have showed leadership through this crisis, real leadership in a similar way that Rudy Giuliani did after 9-11, he would have gotten a political benefit from it. Instead, he abdicated that leadership, pretended that this thing wasn't happening, and wished it away. Now, I know you worked for George W. Bush, and one thing I know about George W. Bush, he was gravely concerned 
about a pandemic and had uh, the Bush administration draw up very specific plans, which the Obama administration then adopted and added to uh, when he was president. Um, I mean, the president of the United States could have taken the Bush plan off the shelf and it would have been a lot better than what we have now. Well, see, this is why you and I get along so well, because you could have easily trashed President George W. Bush, but instead you applaud him for doing exactly what he did. I mean, we ran simulations of a pandemic. We talked about these sorts of things all the time. President Obama, people were faulting him, but you know what? President Obama did a lot to have the national stockpile that was handed to him by President Bush. My thing here is this, as it relates to the Trump administration, Chris. I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care who gets the blame. What I care about is protecting Americans who are most vulnerable, who could contract this virus and could die from it. And that, at a time of crisis, which President Bush understood after 9-11, right. is his sole function as president of the United States. Let's put the politics to the side. And you remember my old boss worked with your old boss, Senator Chuck yeah. Schumer from New York State, and said, how do we move the country? Forward? I was there. That's what you do in a time of crisis. I, I know you were there. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what you do. That's it, what you do. It was an amazing thing. I mean, we like the day before 9-11, we were ready to kill George W. Bush, right? We had the ducks were lining up. The senator from Vermont, the Republican, just switched parties and started caucusing with the Democrats. Things were going to be bad for George W. Bush on September 10th. Things got bad for America on September 11th, and we all came together and we rallied around each other to try to fight this common enemy. I was there, man. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember Chuck Schumer asking George W. Bush for uh, for $20 billion. Actually, it was it went the other way around. George W. Bush said to Chuck Schumer, what do you need? What do you need? Yep. And Chuck said $20 billion. And George said, done. I should say, President Bush said, done. Right? And And that's just, you know, where is that? Where is that kind of leadership right now from this president? It's not there. It's like, you guys figure it out. I am not, uh, you know, com- contrast that with I am not a shipping clerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing that, that disturbs me, honestly, is when you go out, I have no doubt you wear a mask. I do. When I go out, I wear a mask. I don't wear a mask to protect myself. I wear a mask to make sure that if, in fact, I've contracted this virus, that I don't give it to someone else. And the cavalier nature in which the president of the United States elects not only not to wear a mask and seems to encourage his followers, his supporters not to do that, this is not the time to be cute. This is not the time to say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't look good. And then yesterday he says, oh, well, I look like the Lone Ranger and I've got my mask on. No, sir. No, Mr. President. You should tell and you should issue an executive order encouraging all Americans at this time of crisis, particularly now that we're spiking again, to wear a mask. Why? To preserve and protect and defend our fellow. He, yeah, Americans. he should be Period. doing. He Full should stop. be doing a national press conference with his predecessors, Obama and Bush, yep. and Clinton, and, and get them all to put masks on. Jimmy Carter. But, you know, it, but Chris, <laughs> I guarantee you this: if. President Trump had an event, as you suggest, with all the living former presidents, and they came in the Oval Office, or if they came in the the, uh, East Wing, or if they came in the state dining room, and they all had their masks on, America would say, our presidents stand united. Yeah, exactly. All right, Ron, hold, hold on to that thought. You're absolutely right. I'm with Ron Christie, good friend of mine. Uh, we've disagreed on policy many times in our lives, but I've always loved Ron. I've always thought he came from it from a place of honesty. And uh, talking about this pandemic, it's very clear to me that you share my view that this is just not going well. And uh, the, the reason it's not going well is a lack of leadership. Um, you know, if you were advising the president today, other than you know what we just said about perhaps having his former, you know, his predecessors come join him in a press conference and put on masks. Uh, what would you say to the guy? Well, first and foremost, I would say that, Mr. President, you need to wear a mask when you're in a press conference. You need to wear a mask when you're in the Rose Garden. You need to wear a mask when you go travel around the country. But most importantly, what you need to do is reassure your fellow citizens. Having been in the White House in 9-11, uh, obviously you were in the Senate, I was in the White House. But I think At times of crisis, and certainly at a time of pandemic, 
People are looking for comfort. People yeah. are looking for the way ahead. Yep. And what he could do to lead here, and this is where, as you saw, that President Bush's numbers went way up, the 43rd president of the United States, is that he projected a sense of calm and competence and unview. My biggest concern that I would say to President Donald John Trump is, Mr. President, where's your empathy? Yeah. You just don't seem President Clinton felt your pain. President Obama was a little bit aloof, but you could tell he cared. President Bush wore his heart on his sleeve. Mr. Trump, where's your empathy? Yeah. That's what people are looking for from you. Yeah. Well, President Obama showed empathy, you know, after these mass shootings, the one in South Carolina, uh, the shooting at the school in Connecticut. I mean, I, I could not see president trump having a similar response i mean i know he tried on occasions but it just hasn't never really got to that level it it is amazing to me and then you know this whole campaign it appears to me is another campaign of division in this country um the president doesn't seem to want to try to expand his base but only fire up people on the far right to come out and vote for him i don't know if you're feeling that same way I am feeling that same way. And the reason that we won in 2004 uh, in the Bush administration was that if you play to the base, Chris, you're going to lose. Yeah. Because there's only 40 some odd percent of the country that's going to come with you. Who do you need? You don't need Democrats. You don't need Republicans. Who do you need to get over the finish line? You need independence. And it would seem to me that a pragmatic campaign by the Trump administration to woo independence, to woo people who are a little bit skeptical and a little bit leery of the people in Washington, but to say, you know what, this guy deserves a second term because of A, B, and C, that's how you win. But if you play to the base, as we learned, you'll lose. If you woo independence and folks on the outside of the aisle, you win. Yeah. President Trump still has time to win. I'm telling you, he still has time to I, win. I think the time is up. Quite frankly, I think that the white power tweet he sent out on uh, Sunday morning is like a bridge too far. And I know they want to pretend he didn't know what he was doing. I think that he thinks that he could get enough people like that out to vote and he can win. And he thinks that he's going to run. Talk a- about that. What'd you say? Can we talk about that for a second? Yes, please. So many of your listeners might not know I am black and I have never been so livid to watch a video on Twitter where seven seconds in, Chris, it yeah. wasn't a no, minute. You didn't have to watch it for very long. You only had to watch it for a second. Seven seconds. Yeah. Where you hear white power, white power, and then you hear a third voice or a second voice off screen say white power. Yeah. And I sit to my they're gonna say, okay, so there are two scenarios here. Either the President of the United States heard that and tweeted out someone who is a smoker wearing a veterans for Trump shirt. Right. Saying white power. With a Trump bumper or, sticker in the, in the window of his uh, golf cart. It is a little golf cart. Or he didn't hear it, which means he's not disappointed enough to recognize you can't send out stuff if you haven't listened to it fully. Right. Neither scenario to me is acceptable. And you said this, you and I talked about this offline, that, I, I mean, I'm a pretty cool, calm, and collected guy, but I, I was in a about this. Can I tell you something? I saw your tweets. Um, I saw your tweets and I wanted to call you um, because I know how much that hurt you because I know you're a lifelong Republican who has a lot of conservative ideals. You're, uh, you know, you and I are are differ on how to resolve problems, but you want to solve problems. I know that about you. And I know you've dedicated your life to the Republican Party, which I feel is gone. I don't think that party that you used to work for exists anymore. I think it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Trump organization. And I think there's going to have to be a complete, you know, realignment of the Republican Party next year, in my opinion. I don't think it exists. And I wanted to call you because you are a friend of mine. I saw your tweets and, and I've never seen you be so angry uh, in, in those messages. And not, not even not, anger is probably the wrong word. Hurt. Uh, and yeah, I, was. I wanted to... Um, I wanted to call you, and uh, I wish I had. And I'm, that, I'm glad it's part, part of the reason why I reached out to you this week. I wanted to get you on and, and talk about it. Well, you and I have been friends for over a decade, and you know my phone is always here for you. But I think it's important for your listeners to understand that all Republicans do not stand unified by some of the things and 
words, actions, and deeds that President Trump does. I applaud him when he does things that I think are right, and I am critical of what he does when I think he's wrong. And that is the biggest disservice to your point of – I don't believe this is the Republican Party. This is the Trump Party right yeah. now. I mean I'm a conservative, but this is not the Republican Party. And why do I say that? I think he acts on impulse, and this is really why he has lost so much standing – by so many people who put so much faith and trust in him and say, oh, well, it's on to the next tweet, it's on to the next insult. That is not what you do if you're the president of the United States. You try to unify the country right. and not yourself and not your party. Right, especially in a crisis that we're in right now, right? We have a crisis of confidence uh, on the coronavirus. We have uh, people marching in the streets for social justice and equity, uh, equality, and, and, you know, the president's job is not to raise the temperature on those things. It's to lower the temperature on those things, to listen, to bring people together, not to further divide. And if you're going to send out a tweet like that, you know, you better be darn sure what's in it. So, yeah, I don't buy. First of all, I don't buy that he didn't know it was in it. I think he knew exactly what was in it. Uh, this is not the first time he's done something like this. It will not be the last time he does something like this. I think he thinks that's a strategy, that he gets these people fired up, they come out and vote, and he gets a better number. And that's just, I don't believe that that's the case. I think he's, I think he's basically narrowed the party, his window down to white men, really uneducated white men, uh, for the most part, is really who he's, who's coming out to vote for this guy. What's telling to me, Chris, here in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., is how quiet the Republican leadership has been. Yeah. You saw my tweets. I was so angry that the Republican leadership, the Republican establishment, didn't come up and say, oh, excuse me, Mr. President, that's wrong. They're scared of him because they know if they speak out, he's going to fund a third-party candidate, get a super PAC, and take them out of office. They are more interested in their power than they are about standing up and saying the right yeah. thing. This time, as you point out, in the time of a national pandemic, same as we had in 9-11, it's not about you, it's not about your party, it's not about your ego, it's about the country. It is, it is. Ron, that's powerful stuff, man. I uh, I hope we don't see another thing like that because I don't want to have to see good people like you uh, hurt and then called upon to answer questions about it, like from guys like me, which, you know. That's our job. That's the media. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're here for. Ron, I got 30 seconds left for you. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want them to know? Well, you can find me at, at Ron underscore Christie on Twitter, which is one of our favorite devices. Uh, I'm a professor at Georgetown University as well as in NYU, D.C. But most importantly, just watch me on the BBC at BBC World. Uh, where I am the North American political analyst. So right. between Twitter, between the television, and between academia, I'm a little bit here, a little bit there. Ron Christie, one of my favorite people on the right. Thanks for joining me tonight. All right, that's Ron. I'll be back to wrap it up. I hope you uh, enjoyed that. Uh, a perspective from somebody on the left and somebody on the right. And... They both kind of lean the same way, right? That this guy needs to go. I mean, Ron, I don't know. Ron hasn't really come out and said it, but he's said it, right? Um, and you definitely hear the frustration in his voice and the honesty. I mean, that's what I like about Ron. His opinions are his honest opinions. He's not playing games here. He tells the truth. I mean, guys like Ron and I who go on TV who are not running for office, who are not going to look for jobs in politics anymore, don't have to beat around the bush. We can tell you the truth as we see it. And I say that every week here. I try to tell the truth as I see it. I'm giving you my honest opinion. It is not uh, colored by uh, me you know, wanting to work for another candidate or go get a job in the White House or anything like that. I want to inform. Um, I want to be... Uh, someone you could turn to and get some good information and, and be a little entertained while you're doing it, right? Because otherwise, why would you listen to this podcast week after week, which you keep doing and you keep telling your friends about it and it keeps growing. So please keep doing that and feel free to tweet at me at Christopher Hahn. Let me know what you think. If you've got a question or a topic you want me to bring up, do that. Or you could go to ChristopherHahn.com. There's an email there that you could get me. And ChristopherHahn.com is working again. I, I got it back from the guy who took it from me when it expired. It was expired for like one day. Um, teach me to have GoDaddy in my spam filter. Um, 
So, I mean, there are a lot of people like Ron out there who are just completely frustrated by this guy, will probably not be supporting this guy. You know, the Lincoln Project, we had them on last week, uh, got a lot of positive feedback from Reed. Sorry if I was a little distorted in my audio on my feed last week. I think we have that fixed this week. Um, something happened with my mic. I played with the setting, and there you go. And of course, you know, I'm doing the, not the interview portion, which you know I do in my radio studio with an engineer there who is making sure everything sounds good. I do this portion at my house right now. And um, yeah, so it's all on me. (laughs) It's usually pretty good. You usually can't tell which is which. But for some reason last week, it sounded pretty bad. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed it and were able to get past it, maybe lower your mic so it wasn't as distorted on the high ends. But I, 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 I don't know. I mean, even with all of his racist tweets and nonsense out there, his not just racist tweets, I mean, his speech at Mount Rushmore, his, um, his speech at the White House on the 4th of July. I mean, the 4th of July, I mean, come on. You got to make that about dividing America, defeating the radical left. Give me a break. Uh, nonsense. And then, you know, his, his son's girlfriend... Kimberly Guilfoyle, who I know really well and who I used to work with at Fox, um, gets COVID-19. Talk about being fact-checked by God. Thank you, Philippe. (laughs) I mean, talk about getting fact-checked by God when your son's girlfriend on her way to see you at the Mount Rushmore event gets tested, of course, because anybody near the president needs to get tested. But, you know, there's COVID-19's gone. But if you're going near the president, uh, get tested, fact-checked by God. Lots of Secret Service members, lots of people around the president getting tested, coming up with COVID-19. He is being fact-checked by God. Sorry. Um, You don't believe in God? Fact-checked by the universe. How's that? Um, It's um, amazing to me um, how that keeps happening and how people still keep following him. Herman Cain gets it. Fact-checked by God. That's where where it came up in, in the interview with Philippe. I just, look, I don't want any of these people to be sick. I don't want them to get COVID-19. But I want them to acknowledge it's a real problem and that the president has failed to correct the problem. And he's not doing everything he can to correct the problem. That's why he's being fact-checked by God. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's show. I really enjoyed bringing it to you. I really enjoyed these interviews. These were two of my uh, favorite interviews recently. They give me a lot of hope. I got a lot of hope that this election is going to go the right way. And I hope you see it too. And I want to remind you as always to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.